to On the Rec Yard, women's prison podcast, where we are live on the Rec Yard every Wednesday night. Hey, hey, everybody. It is Wednesday night, 7 p.m., and we are live on the Rec Yard. I'm Marcy Marie. I'm Toonchi. Um, good to see you. Good to see you, Toonch. Honey, I'm trying to get the, the phone to go on silent because you know how it is, right? When you start the podcast, all of a sudden, everyone that has ignored your messages all day suddenly want to talk. Well, listen, okay. Toonch, I figured that you would have had ample time to take care of all of that since you rolled into the virtual studio just moments before we went live. I figured you were taking care of all of that. Guys, I'm, I'm, <laughs> we see you in the chat already and we're so happy to have all of y'all. De- Department of Corruption Stories is reminding everybody to hit that like button. We appreciate that so much. Judy, I see you. We see you guys that are watching. We already have several Several tuned in. Make sure that you're hitting the like button. Make sure that you're subscribed to our channels. Make sure that you comment. And when this live is over, if you share it, uh, I think if it's on Facebook, if you're watching on Facebook, you have to wait till it's over to share. If you're watching other platforms, you can share it right now and uh, have somebody watch with you. So we would love that. We're so happy to see. Uh, yeah, so happy to see everybody. <laughs> well, Honey, I did it again. I did it again. When I jumped on here and I added all my channels, I forgot to add the private Linus group. So did you probably, share it with them? Well, it won't let me share. Cause it, Okay. Well, I'm sorry you have to share it when it's over. Hi, Laurie. <laughs> Hi, Carrie. We see y'all. <laughs> they found it. So maybe I should put the, the YouTube link. That would be group. a great idea. That would be wonderful. What would have even been more wonderful is we if we had handled all of this before showtime. I know it. You're right. You're right. Yeah, we are talking about we're talking about the poor water conditions inside of Texas prisons and how tech Texas prisons it's not uncommon for incarcerated Texans to go without water for days or even weeks at a time. And then it's not uncommon for them to be given contaminated water under boil ban and they don't have a way to boil their water. And Lee is watching us, um, joining us from YouTube and says clean water is a human right. And yes, that's, that's facts. And it just doesn't happen like it's supposed to or like it should. And we're going to talk about some of our own personal experiences with uh, water shortages and that kind of thing. And we're going to talk about some recent events. (laughs) Kelsey Stone, we see you too, joining us from YouTube. Uh, Carrie's got a question. Oh, I look more rested this week. Thank you, Carrie. So uh, yeah, we'll talk about that in the recap for sure. My mom is here. Love you, mom. Shout out to Mama Sean. And Lori, go go ahead. Go ahead and ask her, Lori. Lori's asking about Tunchi's shoulder. So y'all, you know, I think think for our group of system-impacted women and people, we avoid the doctor because we've had terrible experiences with medical care in the past. Um, And we learn this attitude of just push through it. 
Um, and, and I'll be just with full transparency. My, uh, a family member passed away of a strep throat infection um, last year. It was devastating. It was quick. It was sudden um, because, she, you know, she had been to the doctor, but it got worse and she just pushed through it right. And it had devastating consequences. And so I promised myself to do better um, in taking care of my physical health. And I, and I still haven't done a great job because I eat like a toddler um, because I eat noodles and chips, right? So I still have work to do. But in terms of the shoulder, guess what? I went to the doctor and I, and trust me, praise God for insurance. Um, and it wasn't cheap, the copay, but I did get in and, uh, the specialist said that it is what, what Alexa told me it was, um, shout out to her, um, because she'll say you didn't give me my credit. <laughs> um, it is called a condition called frozen shoulder. Uh, this happens to some women, especially if you have autoimmune stuff. And it just completely tightens and freezes up all of the connecting tissue uh, from your joint to your bone. And it is extremely painful. And it, I can't, it's, it literally as if someone has welded my arm shut. And he said, so I can give you a cortisone shot. He did. It's helped a lot with the pain. He said, bad news, this condition lasts for up to two years, Marcy. Up to two years, I may not be able to move my arm. I have to take physical therapy. And I said, you know, what triggered this? Nothing happened. He goes, it just happens. And then one day it just stops. And I'm like, I feel like it had to do with stress. I feel Because like I carry all my stress up here. And I think maybe I'd pinch something and my body just cemented it. So thank you for all the care and concern and follow up. I can't believe y'all remembered that. And, um, that and they're really... giving it to you in the chat, honey. They they were worried about you. They're so happy that you did go to the doctor. They're proud of you for going to the doctor because a lot of people let things slide Yeah, and we know how important it is to get things looked at. Uh, if, if you can come up with the means to do so. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to make fun of your shoulder any longer. Anymore. I mean, just let's do a weekly recap. <laughs> I cut you straight off. <laughs> break, y'all. I don't get a break. Um, well, tell us that was kind of my update this week. Um, other stuff going on has been... Finish the five campaign, which is about closing the youth prison in Texas. We had our first uh, meeting of the year, we got off to an impactful start there. I'm very excited about that. We're working on other projects. Um, and then in my, in my own capacity, I was a part of, as it, I am a part of Just Leadership, the cohort that trains system impacted people, how to be uh, leaders and how to develop other leaders. So I spent all weekend doing that. Uh, yeah. What did you had some exciting stuff happening? I did. <laughs> Honey, you had a panel. Oh, what? I did. Yes, I did. Um, I'll tell you what, I took care of babies. 
Um, So that was a big thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. So a quick update. Kids are doing really well. We had a book fair at the school. We got to take lunch up and have lunch with the kindergarten class. That was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, We had, we went to the rodeo. My dad came, um, his friend gave us some rodeo tickets. And so my dad took us to the rodeo and our kindergartner had never even, he didn't even know what a rodeo was. He never heard that term in his life. So I got to go on Google and show him pictures of some of the events at the rodeo. And he was so excited through the whole thing. It was really great. So, uh, families, families doing well. Um, mom seems to be getting healthier and we're rooting for her. That's that. So work update, uh, activism update is I was part of a panel discussion hosted by uh, People's Party of Texas and a little spot in Denton, Texas called the Hippie Hole. And it was a panel about the prison industrial complex. So they showed us a compilation of films, most films produced and made by formerly incarcerated individuals. So that was really great. Um, and I want to tell you, those films were so impactful From the very first one, I was in tears. So (laughs) like, I felt like I just cried through the whole thing. Just um, seeing things on, on a big screen that you actually lived and hearing people's families that had incarcerated loved ones talk and it just, it hit home every single film hit me in a different way, but it, it was very impactful. So panel discussion went beautiful. We had a great crowd. I think we had like 45 people. Nice. So we had a great group um, and lots of thoughtful questions asked afterwards. Uh, yeah, I think it was great. I took my prison family with me. So I had um, my uh, best friend, Laura, who has done 30 years on a life sentence and she's home now. She came home with me. We spent a good, good number of years incarcerated together. I brought my play daughter, my daughter that I adopted in prison. (laughs) And uh, so she was with me and my wife who I met in prison was with me. Uh, And then we had um, a couple other Linus folks and some other great organizations. It was really good. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And, and I hope that maybe, um, uh, I know that they had, had talked about maybe following up with you to do, um, some other screenings of that, um, if we could organize that. So I'm really excited about it. It sounds like it went fantastic and smashingly. And, and I had two, um, pretty, pretty decent friends that I've worked on the Melissa Lucio stuff with that, you know, one of them said, man, I just, I really enjoyed, meeting Marcy and um, the Linus group and just what an impactful event that y'all had. So I'm glad, I'm glad it went well. I think that you're talking about the folks from Fight Toxic. Yeah, that's right. I was really excited when we got there. um, He had immediately, I didn't know, I didn't know them, had never seen them or met them before. And he had immediately picked up a flyer because we set up a little table um, and it wasn't kind of the event. It wasn't really an event where we needed to stay at a table, but I definitely wanted to make sure literature was available for people. So I had some Linus flyers out and of course, 
my little stickers mm-hmm. <laughs> with my QR code, with my socials. And so I had all of that out and he immediately picked that up and he was like, man, this is really cool. Uh, I know Jen and Maggie when they started Linus. And I said, oh, okay, that's awesome. And I uh, had let him know Maggie was kind of doing harm reduction stuff and not really involved with the org anymore too much, uh, but that you were powering through and we were get, I just kind of got to fill him in on so many things that Linus has accomplished this past year. Uh, and we had a great talk. And then I was like, so what do you do? He said, oh, I try to, I try to stop, pe- uh, stop, stop people from building prisons. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> tell me more. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, that's huge. So uh, I just, they I just are phenomenal. And I'm, I'm really glad that they connected. Um, and, and they've done a lot of other work on other stuff. So I'm, I'm, yeah, it was an overall great event. And I'm, I'm glad to hear it. And uh, I see uh, Eric is here. He said, I saw the comment there. Hello, Linus friends. And Lori has a good question that maybe we we will do. That's, Sounds I good love to it. Me. I Lori love says, it. Marcy and Tunchi, will y'all consider doing a live about commissary, how it works, the typical prices, et cetera. And that's a great idea. Uh, and I'm jotting it down because... Sometimes we don't remember. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's an excellent idea. And I would love to talk about pricing and who who profits from that. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. let's talk about who's getting rich off of uh, incarcerated folks commissary. Yeah, I think that's a great story. So I appreciate that. Well, let's let's jump into the show, Toonch. Let's do it. This the reason we decided this topic is because the hobby unit in Marlin, Texas, went over a week with no water. And so we were getting lots of letters um, on our on our personal letters, letters into Linus, uh, letting people know. I was getting messages on my social media saying, my wife's at Hobby, my daughter's at Hobby. She says they're not letting them out for the restroom. She says they're not getting any drinking water. I mean, it was, I think, pretty rough. Uh, I did one video on it, like on the third day, um, and and... I assumed it had gone back on, but no, it, it, it just now went back on like five days ago. So I think it was just over a week they were out. And some of the letters we are getting are talking about um, hobby. The hobby unit is mostly two-man cells. Mm-hmm. And they're just a small little, like you see, little eight by ten-ish foot cell. You have two beds in there and you have a toilet. So people are still using the restroom regardless if the toilet flushes or not. That's correct. And they, we're hearing that they weren't get bringing them any buckets of water to flush their toilets. So they're just boxed in this tiny cell. Um, it's, it's a health crisis. That's a health crisis when that happens. You know, the, the chronic the chronic problems with plumbing and access to water is it, I feel like it doesn't give, it doesn't get enough attention. We talk about the heat we talk about the, the, the cold, which is just defies the mind in terms of how dangerous those conditions are. But we're talking about access to clean water to drink, to bathe, and to flush the toilet with. And when you are trapped in a cell, 
you know, it, it, it feels a little, little bit better living in the dorms, but still all those toilets are overflowing because they have to come get you to let you out to take you to a porter potty for Mountain View. And I don't know what it looked like for Lane Murray, but I'm sure that it was not much better. We had, whenever this water would go out, and ours usually was for two or three days. Now, Crane is the same way as Hobby. It'll go out for two weeks. Um, and that's because the infrastructure of the unit, sometimes it's with the city water, but usually it was infrastructure problems. The city of Marlin has chronic water problems. I will say that plus hobby has infrastructure problems. Um, but you know, if you're in the dorm, it, it, you feel like you can open the, the, the window a little bit better, even though it's got bars on it, you know, like you can move around, but all those toilets are overflowing because if they don't come get you to take you to those two porter potties for 900 women, and, and I wouldn't go, Marcy, I had a, and I don't care, I'll tell people, I had a peanut butter jar I kept as probably my only contraband <laughs> that I would hide. And I would use that to pee in and I would just hold everything else because I'm not going to that porter potty and I sure can't use those bathrooms because people are like, I'm tired of waiting. I can't wait. And so then they start to be at the rim full of waste. I have used a chip bag more than once. You know, we save our chip bags for cooking or storage or whatever the heck we're going to use them for. And I have, in those times, used a chip bag to use the restroom in um, because desperate times call for, for desperate, desperate measures. measures. And no, you could not. Those bathrooms would get to the point where you, even if that was your only choice, like you you couldn't you just go can't. in there. You can't. You, um, and I'm not... I'm not bougie. I'll, I'll, I would rather, you know, I'll go on the side of the road kind of girl. I'm not, I'm not bougie. It's not that it's that they, they were toxic. The, it was just too much. You couldn't breathe. Yeah. Going well, in. Well, and, and I want to remind people too, right. And this is not a shame or shade at women because we, we have to, right. Like, so this is also women on their menstrual cycles, Right. So this is, and I tell you what, I have been in somebody's home that conserves water because they're a very extreme environmentalist and I get it. Like I'm very conscientious of my water. I don't, I try not to be wasteful, but if it was just that they had peed, they wouldn't flush it. They would like, well, I, I just peed. So it's okay. And then when I come back, maybe two or three times after I've peed, I'll flush because it saves and conserves water. And I said, I can't, I can't do this with you. And they're like, why are you freaking out? I'm said, I cannot use a bathroom that is not been flushed. And I said, that's not me being bougie. I'm learning my triggers and my stress that you, this takes me back all the way to those overflowing toilets of human waste and, and I cannot do it. You know, we were, um, hiking when we went to Colorado, uh, Tunch and I got to go to Colorado, the university of Colorado at Boulder. We were part of an event there and a panel discussion there. And, um, while my family's there, so I went, I flew in 
a week early and spent time with my family. And I was hiking in the mountains with my mom. I brought my mama with me and my Aunt Pam. And we stopped at a porta potty that was like at a state park in the mountains. And it was one of those, it wasn't a, it was an outdoor restroom. So it wasn't like a, the blue box porta potty. It was an outdoor restroom, but kind of the same concept, right? It was just in, into the earth or wherever it goes. I don't (laughs) know, but, um, it was, it was really the smell was, and, but I know exactly what you're talking about being triggered because when I stepped in there, you know, and I pulled, pulled my shirt up and that's how I went in and held my shirt up over my nose and, you know, and this did it cause I had to, but, uh, yeah, it was flashbacks. It was major flashbacks. And I, I think I even vocalized that to my mom and my aunt. Like I I've lived that for weeks at a time. Uh, the first experience that I had with a water shortage was in August on the Lane Murray unit. And we mm-hmm. were out for 14 days so you guys can imagine the temperature. I was in F dorm and I was upstairs. So the temperature 130 degrees, mm. no running water. Oh. Um, but fortunately at that time, I wasn't in a cell block housing situation where I had to depend on an officer. I was actually in a um, honor dorm or however you want to, however you want to word it for outside trustees lived there. And so we had a little bit, not a lot but a little bit more freedom and we're trusted enough to walk to the porta potty and back, which is so crazy that you have to be trusted. I mean, there's two razor wire topped fences surrounding that unit. <laughs> you know, nobody's, nobody's going to the part porta potty and escaping. That's right. not happening. So, uh, you know, they just didn't want us to see our friend or whatever. So. Well, it, you know, I, I remember, um, when the winter storm hit, what was it? What has it been three years now? Like, mm-hmm. cause the extreme cold in Texas is getting bad too. But, um, I remember, and it was my first winter in Austin and I was, I was panicked and I was living with another, um, system impacted woman, a formerly incarcerated woman. And we were outside getting buckets of snow to melt and to boil because the thought of not having, and we had jugs of water, right? Like that wasn't, I wasn't afraid that we weren't going to have anything to drink, but the, the, the inability to flush the toilet and the inability to wash off We were absolutely like not well, not well at all. Um, And it, it comes from that trauma of not, you know, not having access. I don't know if people can imagine, you know, you can live for days without food. And that's not a fun experience either because we've both done that. But when you are trapped in a cell, in a cell. I feel like you, in a dorm setting with other people, that at least you have someone and you're all figuring out what to do. But the feeling of being like an ad seg or in county jail when I was in separation, you were, if there's no water, and this is what we talked about, the kids at, at, in the youth prisons that don't have what they call wet cells, they have, to, and I've been in those too, you have to be let out 
by the staff member to go to the sink in the bathroom. So there is no access to a toilet, sink, water, period. And these kids were pissing in water bottles um, that they had in their room and cups that they had saved because they had nowhere to put it. Um, the panic feeling of not having water when you are thirsty, it is something that I don't think until you experience, you can't understand the pure desperation and terror of, of, of being thirsty. So their water would be out. And before they brought, because it takes, they do bring in on a trailer, they bring in porta potties and they do have what's called a water wagon, which is this big metal contraption thing water holder for lack of a better term there's probably a real word for it that they have on a trailer that they use to water the field workers so they use that it has some water spouts on it anyway so they have those but those take hours those it's not like the water goes off and an hour or two later those come no the water goes off and everybody just waits for hours and hours sometimes. Sometimes they come in the middle of the night and you'll wake up the next morning and and it'll be like, oh, thank goodness they're here. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So th- b- before then, what they do is they have an igloo cooler with water and they bring it in the dorm and you you can fill up one cup. It's one cup per person. So you don't know when that's going to come again. And it's not, it's, it's you don't, you don't exercise when there's no water. You don't, I, I you don't drink coffee. <laughs> you don't hardly eat. Like you go into your body goes into this survival mode, your body and mind so that you're, you try to shut down your system as much as you can so that you don't need to use the restroom. I remember being able to go tinkle one time in the day, the whole yep. day. Yep. My body was, uh, it would just, I completely shut everything down. And because it was that kind of situation where it had, you had to do that. And of course I was severely dehydrated because I'm, I'm a person that requires a lot of liquid. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a gallon a day and I have always done that. My body requires a lot of water. Uh, So I'm sure that I'm just severely dehydrated. You get headaches because you're not drinking coffee. Then you get more headaches because you're dehydrated. Well, and, and then you, you know, you can't bathe too for all of that. Um, and it's just, I, I don't, I can't think of another just, you know, inhumane way to, we don't do this to animals, right? Like we don't do this. And if you do, you're, the police are coming, right? Like they, you see the news reports when um, police have come out to a farm to, to rescue, you know, emaciated horses um, or uh, animals that have been hoarded and, and they're just living in their, their waste, right? Like this, this horrifies people about animals. And I, I don't understand why there's not the same horror about human beings living in their waste, right? Like what other symbol of inhumane, disregard and neglect is there 
to I, I just I've never understood that, Marcy. Like blatant. There's something that our our society or culture kind of does when it comes to incarcerated folks. It's this number one, I feel like it's kind of this out of sight, out of mind. Um, and number two, if I don't know about it, I don't have to address it. It's kind of like the people that hurry up and change the channel when, when those shelter commercials and those kind of things are on, because if I I, can, I don't want to think about it, if I don't have to think about it, I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to address it. Um, and then the other thing I think is previously people were not getting out of prison talking about it. They weren't on podcasts bringing attention to the matter. They weren't, you know, there's such a stigma that comes with someone getting out of prison, not only for that person, but for their entire family. That yeah. stigma keeps mouths closed. And I think that this past couple years, people are just really tired of that. Um, so I'm hoping that there's a there's a movement that will change. But I, I know you notice, too, the more people that know about it, they do have a different. I mean, we're going to we have those few right that are. Well, it's prison. What'd you expect? A Hilton? You don't need to cry due to time. I love, I love when I'm on here talking about, oh yeah, I had to, we didn't have any water bottles and we used to fish dirty water bottles out of the trash can that officers discarded and washed to use. Like this is our reality. And people are like, well, it's prison. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, well, oh, and by the way, when the water comes back on in these facilities, the cities issue a boil ban. They say, hey, yep. guess what? City, city of Marlin, Texas, city of Gatesville, Texas, city of any other podunk city that houses Texas prisons that ha the water has been out. The water has been restored, but it is not safe to drink. We what? recommend you boil it before drinking it. And the prison where I was at, Lane Murray, would put up notices everywhere. <laughs> And we'd go be, I'd go into our dorm and we'd see this sign, boil ban, don't drink the water, boil before drinking. But we, we have absolutely zero way to boil water. Right. Zero. And, so and them hot pots don't boil and it's not going to kill no. anything. Right. The hot pots are going to grow germs. They're just the right, they just get a nice warm, hot temperature to uh, produce, reproduce bacteria, grow bacteria, not kill right. it. So the first time this happened, I'm freaking out. I mean, I'm just like, oh my gosh, what are we drinking? What are we going to drink? There's no water. What are we, gonna? you know, and everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, do y'all not see this? We're supposed to boil the water. Are they going to bring us water? And they're like, no, honey, they're not going to bring you water. Mm -mm. They're not bringing well, you water. <laughs> Finally, this, this old school, um, how, how, how did I not forget her name? right at this moment, I can picture her, but this old school, she had been locked up at this time, 20 plus years. And I think she did 33 before she went home. And she said, honey, I've been drinking this water for 20 something years and I'm still here. It's water. You have to drink it, drink it. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> no, I have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. You don't I'm have a choice. Well, so, you know, what they get away with is that they say, well, in the kitchen, they boiled water before they put it on the tables to serve at lunch or dinner. And it's like, 
yeah, but we drink water in the dorm, right? Like we can't just drink the water at lunch. Uh, and you know, my father retired from the water district and I asked him about it. And I said, you know, first of all, our water, um, especially in the summer was brown. And I said, what are they doing to us? He goes, well, y'all are using so much water. The tank is now at the bottom. And so all that sediment is coming out. He said, it's gross, but it, by standards in testing, it is safe. Um, it's just going to leave stains. I mean, but it's treated. And uh, I said, well, what about when the water shuts off and they tell us to, to boil it? He said, you're supposed to boil it. And I said, well, we just go ahead and drink it. He said, well, I wish that you wouldn't, <laughs> right? He said, because the reason why the boil notice is there, and we saw this in Austin um, last year, there are water, good Lord, you wouldn't think this would happen in a large city like this, but the water, and I didn't know, right? My brother texted me and said, good Lord, I hope you're not drinking the water. And I said, what? Anyways, it was a thing, right? They had to turn it off and da, da, da. And please, when it comes back on, boil it. And so I, of course, boiled my water, but I mean, I had jugs and, and whatever, but I had to give the cat water. So um, I boiled it. Well, several people got sick and even people I work with, they were like, I didn't know. And I drank the water and I threw up all day. Right. And I'm like, I don't know if our stomachs were just made of steel by then, or we were so used to throwing up and shitting everywhere sometimes for no apparent reason that we just were like, okay, well, that's part of the deal. Um, but my dad who retired from the water office said, you are not supposed to, because what happens is that water that's been sitting in the pipes after they turned it off, because there's still water in the pipes, it'll slowly trickle out, but it's sitting in there. So in between the time that the, the water gets turned back on, all that treated water is now getting bacteria in it. It's sitting in there. There's no free flow of all this chemical or whatever. So when you flush, you that turning it back on is flushing that out, and then you're back to the treated water. Wow. And I said, oh. He said, so wow. y'all were drinking, and especially if it's been off for a while. Now, if it dries up in the pipes, but that's, that's usually not going to happen. Those pipes stay wet and dark. Right. Um, and the chemicals wear out and the water's still sitting there and bacteria grows in it. And then you've drank it as soon as it comes out before the treated water, you know, treats everything again. Wow. And we were just drinking it. You're just drinking it. We, I mean, when it's 130 degrees, which there was that case in a, I can pull it up in a minute when, when you start talking, but it was in the summertime and they, this gentleman was getting all these uh, symptoms, pain, all this weird stuff. And a nurse, Marcy, told him, there's a reason why we bring bottled water. Y'all's water has arsenic in it. Now, I did ask my dad this too. I said, because the levels were so high, people were getting ill. They took, filed a lawsuit. And um, the warden of that unit drank a cup of it in front of the judge. And the judge said, yeah, but you're asking this men, these men to drink gallons of this in the heat. So I'm ruling in their favor. One of the few impactful litigations 
Girl, they didn't put the 700,000 or 70. It might've been 70. I might, maybe it wasn't 700, but I think it was 70. Thousands of dollars to redo the plumbing. They closed the unit and shipped everybody off to other units because they refused to, to fix it. And I asked my dad, I said, how do they get away with having arsenic? He said, Be because the water is allowed to have trace elements in it. There's certain levels it can't have trace elements in it, right? Like, and y'all don't want to hear this about your food, but the FDA says that food, packaged food, there is a trace amount of animal waste or rat turds or whatever, but right, like it can't be over a certain amount because a certain amount will make you sick. He said, so arsenic is natural, but over a certain amount. And that's what the problem was there. So wow. these people were drinking arsenic by the gallons and having, and it took that one brave nurse to tell that guy. And when he got out, he dug into it and dug into it. And, and he's the one that filed the lawsuit. Wow. Wow. And so the staff is all knowing they're bringing in water. They're drinking Correct. it. They're, they're not going to drink contaminated water. Um, I just, <laughs> you made me think about working for, uh, we'll just put some names on out there. Lieutenant Warren on the Dr. Lane Murray unit. Uh, we were cleaning out the pie building, which was this metal warehouse building at the back of the unit that they had built for some purpose. I think that at one time they said they were going to do a garment factory there and then they didn't. And I, I don't know, that all was rumor. It was a big empty warehouse that was brand new. Uh, and so it was odd. But anyways, what they did is they used it for storage, like laundry overflow, new mattresses, that kind of stuff. Well, we would go clean it. I worked on the field squad and part of our duties was to go clean it every several months and we go clean it. And it, it's about the third time. Every time we go in there, we see, uh, I thought it was for commissary, but we see pallets of water bottles. And I, I don't mean one or two pallets. I mean, 20 pallets full of water bottles. And I'm noticing that they're just still there. Just, they're not moving. They're not being open. Cases aren't out. You know, like I had originally thought must be stocking the commissary because commissary does sell water bottles. So finally, we're like, what are those water bottles for? And he says, oh, the city sent them for y'all. Last time the water was out. <laughs> and they're just sitting in there. They The whole 10 years I was there, those water bottles sat in there. They just never gave them to us as many times as the water was out. I mean, it was just, yeah. It's, it's just, it's just unbelievable. It, it's just absolutely unbelievable. The lack of, um, and I, I talked with uh, someone today in a meeting about like just the level of inhumanity that happens behind, you can look at TDCJ's pretty little social media post, which, you know, we know has been escalated over the past year and a half, right? Of putting up a real, you know, right? But underneath that, right, is a rot. It's a rot. I don't know how to describe it any other way. And the staff become desensitized the same way we become desensitized. Um, 
and that's the only way you get through it. You know, I remember um, when I was at Crane when I was younger, and this was something that I thought a lot about, you know, the second time I, I was incarcerated, you know, what went wrong? Like, what is wrong with me? Uh, lots of stuff. But I, I, I kept for some reason reflecting back to this moment of this woman uh, was having a seizure in the middle of the road. And me and a friend of mine that did time together at the Texas Youth Commission, she was, we both got sent to prison, right? And we'd been there a while and we were walking to the chow hall and Marcy, we just stepped over her, right? Like, do you know how painful that is to admit and remember now is that we just stepped over her and we kept talking. And a lady behind us was like, holy shit, y'all just stepped over that poor lady. And we were like, well, she was like, because we could, we had to walk in between the yellow lines, right? And she had fell out right there. Well, I didn't want to get in trouble. So I just stepped over. And it was like, and we were in the chow hall line. And I remember my friend was like, dude, I don't feel anything. Like why that lady asked us, like, or were we supposed to care? And I said, I think. And that is what the system did to us. Now, what the system in the state will say was that's how we were born. That's how in that's innate in us. That is not innate. The no, little it's the it's not. Absolutely not. When you when you get there, even just witnessing some of the staff, the way that they, the way that some of the staff would handle incarcerated individuals, um, it would go for, I mean, when you first get there, you're completely shocked. You're completely shocked at the violence. I mean, I remember the first fight I saw in prison, I was almost in tears, you know? It, so yeah, you absolutely get callous to it. We were not, I was on a unit that housed disabled individuals and we weren't allowed to assist them in any way, including holding the door for them. And so, yeah, and in the beginning, the first three years, when I still have that humanity that I was, that is inside of us, you know, when it hadn't been stripped away, I was just still shocked and shocked and shocked. And then towards the end, I'm closing the door on wheelchairs, trying to get in the door from Chow. So I don't get a disciplinary case. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. And and this water situation too. I I don't ever remember being in prison saying, I'm drinking contaminated water. And when I get out, I'm going to do something about it. Right. I just remember thinking, just like old girl who had been there for 20 something years told me, well, honey, I've been drinking it. And I just it's remember the way it is. that it's just how it is. This is prison. This is prison. We don't care about the people that are in prison. Uh, well, and it, it reinforces this idea that we are less than, that we are less valuable. And I don't know. I, I don't know how that makes public safety when we get out. Do you want me to step over someone? I, well, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this too. When I got out the first time and that had been 10 years, 15, age 15 to 25. And I, and I may have told this story here and I apologize, but I was at 
lunch with my brother and my sister-in-law and a formerly incarcerated friend. And a man jumped out of his truck and snatched his girlfriend or whoever. And she's crying and screaming and saying no. And he's dragging her by the hair and throws her in his pickup. My sister-in-law got up with her phone. Take, take a little picture and do it. And, and me and my friend just kept eating. My brother's like, oh my God. And I said, um, you need to, you need to ask your wife to sit down, like tell her to stay out of that. He said, I don't tell my wife what to do. And I learned, you don't tell my sister-in-law what to do, even for her own safety, because her immediate response was, I'm going to get up and do something. I don't care. Um, and they, that guy turned around to everybody and said, what, you got a problem? Do something, all of you. And everybody was just sitting there just startled and shocked. And then another person got up and took a picture of his license plate. Now, I don't know how effective, right? Like calling the police is we let's deal with crime. Hopefully we can get in that discussion. But I remember when she sat back down and she was just upset. And my brother looked at me and my friend and we were still eating unbothered. He said, what's wrong with y'all? I said, first of all, I don't get in people's business. And second of all, I mean, okay. Like it was so normalized. Yeah. The violence and, um, the apathy The and I think those are the two most dangerous things about having been incarcerated is the apathy that you develop to survive and the violence that is bred in us. And those of us who have personality disorders that have already struggled with being reactive when we're harmed, immediate. This experience taught me from the time I was a child to stop giving a fuck. I can't handle it. I cannot handle it. Marcy, we could not handle it. So just shut it off. And then, oh, also, when I need to react, I'll react with violence. I mean, that's the way things are done, and I need to survive. And to, to, to unlearn that is a painful, difficult process. And you don't realize that that's, you don't, you come home and that's still normal. <laughs> you know, I, I, you, it's still a normal reaction. And I just, there's times that I've said something or uh, vocalized my thoughts about how I wanted to react to something. And my family's just looking at me with deep concern. Right. <laughs> like, you know, this is, first of all, A, this is not who you were when you left us. And, and B, this is not okay. You're going to end up back in prison. Yes. If you keep thinking like this. Yes. And guess what? What I tell people is I did. I did. And I just had that discussion with somebody today about um, I, I during the finish the five stuff, we met with someone in the governor's office and he said, well, what do we do? These kids get out of the youth system and then they act violent again. And then we have to to put them in prison. And it's like, you know, it, it was like not understanding the causation of what the incarceration did to them. I said, sir you're talking like these children went through this peaceful, wonderful process. I said, I'm telling you that I did get out and do something else violent. I did. This is what your system trained me to do. And I have to unlearn it. 
It is not inherent. I, it is not inherent. And so when we don't get fed and we are haven't drank water in 24 hours and we're locked in a cell and it's 100 degrees and you wonder why people get out after having been treated like absolutely worse than animals and why they have apathy and, and violence. Surely that makes sense to people when you've been starved and, and you haven't had anything to drink and you don't have your basic needs met. And the, per, the people responsible for it are so desensitized because they too have to desensitize. And, you know, I don't like sticking up for guards, but how do they work in a system that perpetuates that without desensitizing? Oh, and we watch that happen too. We watch staff members come in um, and and be concerned and and try to think like, oh shoot, there it's a boil ban. How are we going to get water to these folks? You know, and for their supervisors and on up to say, uh, we're not. They'll be fine. Like, just you don't drink the water. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, how how many more days of this do you go through? You have to desensitize to survive. Whether you live in the prison, whether you're housed there, or whether you are paid to be there, or frankly, whether you volunteer there, there's a level of desensitizing that has to happen to, to emotionally and mentally survive that. Right. Well, and, and Jennifer just came in hot here with, with um, this comment. That's probably one of the reasons why they are 10,000 officers short. Um. Well, exactly. Like who wants to, to work in a system that treats them like this, doesn't pay them well, doesn't train them well, doesn't offer them supportive, you know, other than the glossy surface things. Um, and they have, you know, the off, how many, we've talked about this before, how many officers unalive themselves at work? Yes. The level of mental health problems that we suffered these people working in these systems suffer it just as much in another way, and then they take it home. What do we expect for them? Right. You know, and, and domestic violence. Uh, domestic violence statistics are very high for correction staff, similar to that of police officers. Um, PTSD is very high. PTSD levels amongst retired correctional staff are higher than PTSD cases for war veterans. It's that serious. It's a traumatic, dangerous place. Texas prisons, all prisons. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Stacy Swift. Yes, Stacy, I love your last name. <laughs> and I appreciated your, your comment earlier. Um, and, and how much this doesn't just affect the, the directly impacted people and the staff working there. It affects their families. Um, you know, it, it was interesting to me and Marcy share this several, I, I've heard us share this several times is that when we went back to Gatesville to do the vigil uh, and to do the healing circle and the unity walk and all that, we were shocked that community, like where we went to pass out flyers and talk to the community about coming to the little uh, vigil and stuff, which we had a great response. We weren't treated like crap. Um, 
we heard so many of them say, yes, I have a brother, I have a sister, my wife works in the as a prison guard, right? Like, because not everybody in Gatesville works at the prison, right? There's They work at Walmart and the other places in town, but they have a loved one there. And the fact that they didn't know, well, I didn't know it was so hot. Like, I didn't know that, I didn't know that stuff goes on there. Like, they've never mentioned that to me. And I was like, oh my God, the same way our family said, well, we didn't know. You never told us. You didn't tell us anything. You told us that y'all played volleyball in the gym and you work in the library. I said, why would I burden you with things that you can't control? So it it really mirrored our experience in, in a way that I, I think I had taken for granted up until then. I love that you made that connection. And you're right. It's, it is, it, it really was. And the family members that knew about stuff that was going on in there or had seen changed changes in their loved ones that worked in corrections. Um, yeah, very similar to the trauma that our families went through and the families of all incarcerated loved ones. The ripple effect of incarceration is massive, uh, not just the families, but on into the community has a negative effect going on and on and on. So, and we did, uh, Eric is reminding us, we did see a former correctional officer uh, that knew several of us from Lane Murray and she was actually working in the sheriff's department. <laughs> uh, and I was really glad she wasn't working for corrections anymore because her her spirit didn't need to be in that place. <laughs> Some people just don't need to need to be in that environment. And she was one of them. So I was really glad for that. Uh, I was trying to think of going kind of circling back to the water crisis and contaminated water. Um, some of the ways that we coped with that, if, if there were, uh, I'm thinking about hoarding water bottles, how people would just have, it would be like lockdown and we would be hauling our, hauling our stuff. And there would be ladies with commissary bags, a commissary bag halfway full with water bottles that yep. they would just tote around a case of water bottles. Oh, uh, and, and did you, you remember at least sometimes we would have a warning, Hey, they're turning off the water in five minutes. Fill up your your um, hot pot. Girl, we filled up hot pots, cups, bowls, dishes, emptying stuff out, washing stuff. Like it is immediate response. Everybody starts filling up. And um, God, you know, I'm just thinking about like the things, the little things that sometimes I forget about. I was talking with Alexa like, Oh my God, like just hearing her come to the shower and say, Hey, do you want me to get your pot? They're turning off the water and you need to get out. You need to rinse off. Because if they turn off the water and you're in the shower, you're if you ain't rinsed off, forget it. So I, just to remember those nuanced things, just the way it clutches my spirit now, Marcy, is so bizarre. You just made me think about that. We would get the notice. It would generally be at shift change at 6 a.m. The next shift would come in and say, hey, the water's uh, getting turned off and da da da. And you would go have, you'd have to wake up your people. Mm -hmm. Or if your people were at work, you would 
go out of place into their cubicle and get their get hot their, pot yeah, yeah. and get their cups and fill up their stuff as well. Because if we didn't want our people coming back from work and not having any Me water water. for whoever knows how long. God, Uh, I just now remember that. As soon as you said that, like, oh, I filled up your pot. And then you find out you come to the dorm. Didn't I want you motherfuckers fill my pot up? I'm sorry, I forgot. But for the most part, somebody went around and filled up. And those were one of the few times, okay, you came into my cubicle and that's okay, um, to get my hot pot and fill it up when I'm not there. Yeah, I think that community that was one way community that we took care of each other and that's how we survived that's how we survived those things like water outages um man i i remember how the bathrooms you would <laughs> we'd have to community clean the bathrooms after that after yep. that and you would have to community get water and in mop buckets and flush yes. toilets and, and and you would have to physically with bleach and i just remember not being a dorm SSI at the time, not being a janitor, but putting on my gloves and, and getting right in there, cleaning up, cleaning our, our temporary home up, right. Cleaning it up so that we would all be okay. Um, there's a, uh, being a baby is, is watching. She's watching from YouTube and she said she just got out of plain state a week ago and she's talking about the filthy water, uh, and yeah. a bacterial skin infection possibly from that water. Well, for sure. And the laundry isn't it. So, uh, and, and somebody, I think maybe had mentioned, um, something earlier that, well, when you're talking about contaminated water and the laundry is using water that's filthy, right. And uh, as I mentioned, Marlin city's water has had notorious problems with, intermingling with their sewage. Like there are some serious problems that have happened in that city. Um, So not clean water. And then the laundry is using that and those chemicals. Well, Marcy, sometimes people would still bleach, right? But the, the laundry chemicals, they would be real um, sparingly with it. Right. So they're not using the appropriate heat, right? Like there are logs that they're supposed to keep and monitor like, it's supposed to be this hot. The water's supposed to be this hot. And a lot of times they would just wash clothes in cold water with very limited soap. So especially at Plain State, those clothes are filthy as. So Impentigo um, is extremely contagious. Plain People State usually- was where, that's where I got scabies at. And they didn't even change my clothes out. Well, no, God. that's false. They changed my clothes out, but they didn't change my bedding out. <laughs> they didn't, I mean, it was dorm wide, that scabies outbreak. They didn't lock us down. They didn't come in and give everybody the medication. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was really something. I was putting bleach all over my arms trying to kill it mm. uh, because they weren't doing anything. I, it, it took me two weeks to get into medical uh, for that. And I, I didn't know what it was. I just knew it itched and uh, I had never heard of scabies before. <laughs> it was bad, but that was at Plain State. It was, it was really bad. Um, so <laughs> uh, any final thoughts about contaminated water? We can do better. 
we can do better. Texas is not this cruel. The Texans I know and love, the Texans on this live, in the comments, the people we work with, we are not cruel. No matter what sometimes our government actions look like, we as a people are not cruel, vicious people. And I just hope people understand that we need a lot of help. And <laughs> we need a lot of help here. Um, so I'll just leave people with that. Absolutely. I I agree. We're, I think that still when it comes down to it, most people are good. And those people have to start using their voices. The, the, the people that have compassion or or. I should say the people that choose to acknowledge their compassion, because I think some people just stifle it, uh, have to speak up, have to start speaking up. So we want to thank everybody for tuning in and for all of the great comments. We do broadcast live over several platforms. Um, you might be watching us tonight on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, even, and anywhere that's commenting comes to us. And that's why you might see a comment from from several different platforms. We appreciate you guys for all the comments. We thank you for liking the live. We thank you for sharing the live um, and for all the great feedback. If you're listening to the podcast, wherever you hear your favorite podcasters, uh, please do leave us a review. We appreciate that so much. Uh, and anything else, Tooch? We do. And uh, I, I do want to Miss M, I don't know what your full name is there that ask about the comments. Yeah, sometimes they pop up weird. And if it's in the private group, you can't see who's the name and all. It's just comments get weird on this platform sometimes. But it's supposed to be easier to share. But, you know, we do our best. Uh, I think that she had asked earlier. Um, we had two suggestions about talking about commissary. But uh, Miss M here. And I think Carrie was chatting back and forth, her and Eric. Thank y'all. Look, I just love this community so yeah. much. Um, that To talk about prison abolitionist work and what does it mean to have a vision without carceral settings. So that's a big heavy one. It's a big, and people people get very heated and opinionated, and, and but it's a great way to educate about our grand vision and hope for the future. So that can be... Um, Another episode, we're hoping to have Pamela Bryant here. She is a formerly incarcerated woman who has her own ministry. She does a lot of great work with the unhoused population in Austin, and she has her own channel. Uh, you can look her up, Pamela Bryant, Living Out Your Past Trauma. She does a lot of um, motivational stuff and really impactful uh, spiritual stuff to, to help us live out our past trauma and move on to something great. So hopefully we can get in touch with her and have her on. Um, but I just really enjoy our talks on Wednesday. I'm, I really, I'm, I'm Marcy. I'm very proud of the way that we've grown our community and our platform here. And uh, I'm really excited to continue to watch it grow. Yeah, absolutely. So our game plan for next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time will be live on all of our channels. Hopefully we'll be speaking with Pamela Bryant, the founder of Walking by Faith Prison Ministries and um, the channel. She also has the channel Living Out Your Past Trauma. Uh, and if that falls through because we don't have that set in stone yet, I think we should talk about commissary. And yeah, then, yeah. And so then, um, mm -hmm. and then we're with you, Miss M, about 
what the perfect carceral, if not prison, then what? Right. Maybe we should talk about that. So yeah. those are those are the next few guys, and we will be here. <laughs> we appreciate you guys. Until next time. For hanging out with us on the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast with Marcy Marie and Tunti. Make sure and subscribe 